A layman looks at the book of Revelation. Keith Gorgas 2021. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19. The first four verses of this chapter reflect back on the 18th and 19th chapters, as they wrap up the discussion of the judgment of the great whore, Babylon. And after these things I heard as a loud voice of a great multitude in the heaven, saying, Alleluia. The salvation, the glory and the power of our God, we were shown, in the previous chapter, the response of the kings of the earth and the great merchants to the destruction of Babylon. Now we are given heaven's response, and it is quite different. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Loud and satisfied praise are afforded for the destruction of the great whore who corrupted the earth with her fornication. There is an intelligent appreciation for God's faithfulness and righteousness in avenging the blood of his servants. We see injustices and sometimes we even suffer them ourselves. It is natural to long for restitution and equity. That is part of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We may be tempted to relate the whore's fornication to spiritual immorality or idolatry, but even a cursory knowledge of pagan rituals understands that gross sexual immorality, in the form of fertility rituals pervades in the worship. Likewise, any who are even vaguely aware of moral history of the Roman Catholic Church will acknowledge that it is the seat of all kinds of sexual uncleanness. The horrible abuse of young men and young women by the priests and nuns is shameful to even speak of. But this is not limited to Rome, by any stretch of the imagination. Lawyers claim that the Southern Baptist Association has as much guilt in this area as the Roman Catholic Church. Many people in places of authority in religious circles abuse that power to force subservient members to satisfy their loathsome lusts. Often it is linked with pleasing God. God will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will avenge this abuse. And a second time they said, Alleluia, and her smoke riseth up unto the ages of the ages. A double judgment fell on Babylon and that calls for a double Alleluia. There will be a perpetual reminder of the judgment of Babylon. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God that sitteth on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And Amen is offered by the whole heavenly host of angels and saints. The great whore Babylon having been judged and destroyed forever, we now come to the grand pinnacle of this wonderful book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And a voice came forth out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, the little and the great. This is a divine call to attention. Every redeemed heart, every elect angel, all are welcomed into eternal praise. And I heard as a voice of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and as a voice of strong thunders, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord, our God the Almighty hath reigned. It is not that his reign was now beginning, but the joyful realization that he has been reigning all the while and now is about to unfold the Lord Jesus in all his glory. Let us be glad and rejoice and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. There is something that must transpire before his unfolding before the world. It is the marriage supper of the Lamb. You will remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. He was taken from prison and from judgment and exalted to be ruler over the whole land of Egypt. Following seven bountiful years, seven years of famine came upon the whole world. During the seven years of famine, he would put his brothers through their paces and let them discover that they had sinned against him, but before that, he took a Gentile bride. As James, the brother of the Lord said, God is first calling out a people unto his name from among the Gentiles, and afterwards will rebuild the tent of David, which is in ruins. Correspondingly, the Lord Jesus will take his bride, the church before being made known to the children of Israel, and the wedding supper of the Lamb is preceded by the judgment seat of Christ. Are we reading too much into this portion? I don't think so, and here's why. 
and to her it was granted that she should be clothed with fine linen bright, and pure, for the fine linen is the righteousnesses of the saints. The text says, and his wife has made herself ready. The bride is now seen clothed in fine linen, pure and bright. The fine linen is identified to us as the righteous acts of the saints. Each of us, when we are saved, are covered in the imputed righteousness of Christ. Just as God clothed Adam and Eve in the skin of an innocent lamb, we have been given a robe of righteousness, Christ's righteousness. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were cautioned against combining woolen and linen in their clothes. Why? I believe because God wants to maintain a distinction between the covering righteousness of Christ, a gift freely given to all who accept him by faith, and the righteous actions, the practical righteousnesses of his saints. These, even as small as a cup of cold water given in his name, are the fruit of grace, working through the power or energizing of the Holy Spirit, in the life of a child of God. Now in my Christian life, there are things that are wrought of God, and there are plenty of carnal things that I look forward to being burnt up at the judgment seat of Christ. There will be things in each life that merit a reward from God. There is also plenty of wood, hay, and stubble, that will not stand the test of fire. All that is gone when the bride, the church, last mentioned in chapter 3, comes down out of heaven. She is adorned in purity. She has neither spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing, and that is how he has promised to present us to himself. When he appears, we shall also appear with him, and we will be like him. Nothing that defiles or is unclean is left to mar that wonderful moment. And he saith to me, Right, blessed are those that are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith to me, These are the true words of God. The Lord's testimony of John the Baptist was that there were none greater born among men, yet he also said that he that is least in the kingdom would be greater than John. John said, and I paraphrase, I'm not the bridegroom, but I am his friend, and I will rejoice at his wedding. Besides the bride, there are many more people at a wedding. There are friends and relatives. There is a wedding party for both sides. I believe that the Old Testament saints will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb as friends of the heavenly bridegroom. All who are called are blessed by God, so says his word. Overcome with the grandeur of the moment, John falls at the feet of the angel speaking with him and worships. Rather than accept John's worship, the angel gently reproves him, reminding him that they are both fellow servants of God, and fellows with all of the brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. God alone is worthy of worship and homage. The thought of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, demanding that their fellows bow down to them is horrifying. How many have been forced to bow before popes, cardinals, or priests? How many congregations have demanded that other congregations bow down to them pursuant to some action or edict? The concept is blasphemous. At best, it elevates the body above the head, who is God, blessed forever. Amen. And I fell before his feet to worship him. And he saith to me, See thou do it not, I am fellow servant of thee and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This last phrase explains so much. Whatever periphery reasons there may be for prophecies to be given, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The great wherefore and why, of the human experience, past, present, and future is found in the first chapter of the epistle to the Ephesians. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he set forth in him, regarding his plan of the fullness of the times. To bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. And I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. What a sight that will be, when the Lord Jesus Christ, once the meek and tender Lamb of God, comes forth from heaven as the conqueror. It is a moment long awaited by the entire creation. He will not return via the manger, but on a white horse, and rather than peace on earth, goodwill to man, he will come to judge and make war.
all his judgments will righteous, and he will be called, faithful and true. His eyes were, as, a flame of fire, and upon his head were many diadems. He had names written and, a name written which no one knoweth but he himself, his all-seeing eyes will be as a flame of fire. They will consume all things that offend in his kingdom. On the cross our Lord wore only a crown of thorns, placed there to mock him. In his return he will have many diadems on his head. This seems to be the acknowledgement of his sovereignty over many things. He will have many names of honor written on him, but there will be a name that is a secret between the Father and he, a realm of glory that no man can entertain. And he was clothed with a garment dyed with blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The slain of the Lord will be many. Millions. John started his gospel out with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When asked who he was, our Lord replied, Altogether that which I say unto you, he is the living Word of God. And the armies that are in the heaven followed him upon white horses, clad in white, pure fine linen. Fulfilling Enoch's prophecy of so many millennia ago, the Lord will be followed with the armies of heaven. All of them are also on white horses and clad in pure fine white linen. This is the day of manifestation and all the righteous deeds of the faithful will be put on display for the whole world to see. And out of his mouth proceeded a two-edged, sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with an iron rod. And he treadeth the winepress of the wine of the indignation of the wrath of God the Almighty. When the Lord takes his kingdom, his conquest will be resolute and unyielding. There will be no denying his power and might. His vesture will be soaked in the blood of his enemies, as he will conquer them in a series of swift and certain battles, against which they will not be able to stand. He will take vengeance on those who don't know God or obey the gospel. And he hath upon the garment and upon his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the moment for which the creation has groaned and travailed since the fall. Dear brother and sister in Christ, doesn't this warm your heart and take you thoughts away to this moment? Forgotten then in glad surprise, will be our years of weeping, if you are reading this and have still not made peace with him, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. When the day we are reading of comes, it will be too late to submit to his claims on your life. You will have nothing to look forward to but swift and sure judgment. The battles of Armageddon and the great clean-up. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in mid-heaven, Come, gather yourselves together unto the great supper of God. God will call the nations down into the valley of Armageddon, and there he will plead with all nations. As the great tribulation comes to an end, the nations of the earth will come in successive waves to destroy and plunder Israel. The Lord will deal with the king of the north, the Assyrian, in the northern part of the land before they reach Jerusalem. He then will deal with successive massive waves of invaders in the plains of Megiddo, or Armageddon. An angel will summon the birds of prey and scavengers to this area to help with the clean-up of dead bodies. I get the impression that this will be a remarkable supernatural gathering of from around the world. Our Lord said in the Olivet Discourse, in the place where the eagles are gathered, there the dead bodies will be. That ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of chiliarchs, and the flesh of strong men and the flesh of horses, and of those that sit on him, and the flesh of all, both free and bond, and both little and great. It seems that a vast portion of the world's population will be conscripted into military service for what amounts to a great crusade. The order of the battles is detailed in the Old Testament prophets and there is moral significance to them, but they are beyond the scope of this study. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies, gathered together to make war with him that sat on the horse and with his army. The Lord himself, with the armies of heaven will meet the invaders and dispatch them. The valley will be filled with the carcasses of the dead. 
the beast out of the seas will lead the charge, and the rest of the kings of the earth will, under demonic delusion, follow him to the slaughter. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought the signs before him, with which he deceived those that had received the mark of the beast and those that worshipped his image. They too were cast alive into the lake of fire that burneth with brimstone. The Lord will destroy these two wicked men with the brightness of his appearing. Both will be taken alive and cast into hell. Those who have died in their lost condition have been relegated to God's, holding cell, called Hades, the unseen, or Sheol, the grave, awaiting final judgment at the great white throne before being consigned to eternal fire, darkness, and torment in hell. These two men are an exception, as they are sent there directly, and will be seen still suffering there a thousand years later. This is the awful end of their course of self-will and blasphemy. And the rest were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, the sword that came forth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. The book of Ezekiel details the clean-up after this great series of battles, but here we see that the birds will feast on the dead bodies for a long time. This is a most solemn portion that foretells the end of rejecting God's salvation. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men.